Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Mighty God, we give you thanks for your praise. You have been faithful. Thank you for bringing us the first day of May. I remember the first day of January and it doesn't seem like it was five months ago. But Lord, it has been five months of your grace. It has been five months of your mercy. It has been five months of your glory. We have traveled. We have, we have, we have done so many things that many people have done and they have died. But Lord, you have kept us. You have kept your word. You have kept your promise. What can we do other than to give you praise? All that we can really do is give you praise. Even if we decided we're going to sing until the end of the day. There's still not enough that we can say, not enough that we can count of your goodness in our life. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is. We thank you for what you did in our midst from last week. The testimonies, the testimonies fitted so well with the word that was preached. It made my heart glad. And I pray, Lord, that as we finish this part, Lord, we pray that you will be with us. We pray that you will help us. Lord, all that we really need from you is your help. We pray, Lord, that you will send us your help, that you will give us the wisdom to um, speak, the wisdom to hear, and the wisdom to do. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. 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 So I have a feeling that the song we sang just now, we might sing it again at the end. Because it's not finished. We didn't finish that song. But God is good. So last week, I gave us an introduction to the Bible. And most of us were here. So when we finish today, I'm going to put the PDF in the in the church chat. And I can email it to you if you send myself or Sister Yemi the email. We'll forward it to you. So we had a look at what the Bible is, um, what the focus is, you know, and what it's all about, how it's broken down, who it is for. And it really is for us. And it's about God drawing us near to him and we went through a number of details but we've kind of run out of time so this was a good one that we learned from last week um an acronym to know you know when you read anything in the in the bible somehow it's going to fit into one of those nine so if that's the basic um thing that you do with the bible just to read it and to learn and to pick these things you will have done more than most christians um do uh, so today I'm going to quickly finish this. So we looked at the books of the, the Bible. So there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the, in the New. And at the center of all these books is Jesus, yeah? So every book that is written is about him. Now the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus and the New Testament looks at him but also looks at what he's going to do in the the future. So this shows the languages they're written in Hebrew and Aramaic and the, New, and the New Testament is in Greek. The Old Testament was all about bringing a sacrifice whereas the New Testament is about repentance. Now what God did in the Old Testament is that he, he, he gave people a lot of rules without the power to keep those rules. Okay, so in the New Testament we have given the power to keep rules and the rules are less, but they're heavier. Um, in the Old Testament, the Lord is the only God, but in the New Testament, we meet the Trinity of God. Though you'll never find that word in the Bible, uh, the Trinity is a, com- 
a concept that is biblical. So the old the Old Testament lays a foundation with the law, the history gives us the preparation for Jesus, the poetry is the aspiration to Jesus, and the prophecy there is the expectation. Now there are over I think three hundred prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament and all of them have come to pass and there's about 300 more about his second coming so he's definitely those two are definitely going to come to pass the new testament is about the manifestation in the gospel so you're given there the history of what jesus did when he was on earth we're then given the propagation of the message of jesus in the book of acts the beginning of the of the church and how that um, spreads throughout the world the epistles give us an explanation and an application of the gospel to daily life, to the church, to business, to all manner of things. And then the revelation is the consummation. So that's where everything ends. And at the end of that book, we have the new heavens, we have the new earth, and something um, that God always had in mind. Something that I wanted to bring to us, and I mentioned this uh, briefly, last week it's types the old testament is full of types it's full of patterns it's full of people that when you look at them they refer to something that is deeper okay and they usually have something to do with jesus as everything does in the in the bible so the passover of the children of israel from egypt to freedom that is parallel to the passover at easter the Passover of when Jesus um, died and rose. And we see the bronze serpent, the Levitical ritual system, even King David, Melchizedek, you know, when we have time, we can go through these and do more um, research as we feel like. So there's different types of writings in the Bible. Okay, so they are all not the, the same and that's why you have to look at them in a different light okay i'm not going to get to um on the technical side because i don't really think it's needed um history um narrative and romance so these are history books so they tell you what happened to people they're not as detailed maybe as we would like them to be in terms of history that we think of but here you'll see stories of people that re that re reveal god they reveal the plan of the enemy and they reveal how the people of God were always caught in between those two. So when, whenever there's anything going on in your life, it's not about you. There is a battle that is going on that is much bigger than what's happening to you. So we are just caught in between that. And at times we just happen to be at the right place, at the right time, at the wrong place, at the wrong time. But in any of these things, we must bear in mind that it's not about us, it's about God and it's about his glory. So these are all the books that have um, stories of people and those are good to get into because they have basic things. So they're not hard to understand. There's things that we can easily pick without you really going into any, like reading to do uh, research. There are some things in there that when we grab them, we can learn quite a lot. The next type is the law. Now these are um, spread, they're mostly 
between Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Now, these laws were given when the children of Israel were leaving slavery. And they were going to go through the desert, and then they were going to leave in Canaan. Now, it's vital that we understand that the law was written for the Israelites at that time, but it gives us a glimpse of the um, standard of God. It gives us a glimpse of what matters to God, what doesn't matter to God. But primarily, it was meant for them to learn to live as a people of God. So many of the rules there have to do with God saying you cannot do things the way other nations do them. So even though we look at those laws now and we think they're antiquated, they're outdated, at those times, that law was higher in worth when it comes to the treatment of women, the treatment of children, the treatment of everybody, really. It was the most equitable law at that time because God wanted his people to live in his way. Now, there's different types of law, the apodictic laws. Those are the ones that are binding on Israel all the time, everybody. And then the casuistic laws, those are that if you do this, when you do that, okay? Now, most of these laws now don't apply because we're not the Israelites in the desert. So there's a lot of things that were said there about foods that you can and can't eat. A lot of them have to do with the fact that there were some foods that they could not eat in the desert without getting sick. There were some foods that they could not grow in the desert. So God was giving them a list of things that they would do that would make life as easy as possible for them in the desert. The laws that were given about when you need to take a pool, you go and do it outside the camp. That's to make sure that if you do it in the inside and then flies come on it, then everybody gets sick. Okay? Now, we have that same law because when we want to do a pool, we go to a toilet. But there's sanitation now, so God doesn't have to tell us that. So when you go into the details, you have rules about bringing up sacrifice, you have rules about how the priest ought to behave. And when you go in there, if you don't get anything, is how difficult it must have been to please God. And the funny thing that happened is that the Israelites were read all these laws and God gave them an option. God said, do you like him? He said, Moses, tell the children of Israel, read all these laws to them and ask them, should they long? And I don't know how somebody can read you 400 laws and you say, it's okay. But pride makes you say, it's okay. So God is not as difficult as we think he is. If they had come back and said, God, these laws are too many, we can't keep them, can you narrow them down to 20? He would have. You would be surprised at things you can negotiate with God if you have the boldness to do so and if you have the basis to do so. He's an interesting um, person. There's poetry in the Bible. So the Psalms, Lamentations, those are good because the Psalms have prayers um, and you can basically want to have the background of who wrote this psalm, what was happening to them. It gives you a text that you can use when you're feeling the way they're feeling. And it takes you back to understanding how, you know, David, as close as he was with God, at times, you know, he was like, God, what are you doing? I'm on my own and I want to do this. And, you know, all the wicked, they're prospering and I'm doing the right things and things are going wrong. So those, um, those psalms are good. Um, the books of wisdom, songs of Solomon, Job, Pro Proverbs, now, the issue with these books is that at times the sayings there 
and are not really interpreted the right way. And there's a way in which, you know, and I keep going back to this, who wrote it, when, what was happening. And also one of the issues that we have is the language, the Bible was written in versus the English. At times, we may not read what they meant. But if God, if you're hungry and you want to hear from God and you want to learn from God, he will tell you as long as you want to know. Uh, prophets, I took us through this uh, four major and twelve minor, and this has got to do just with the length of the books. It's not to do with uh, whether they were more anointed. And what the prophets did at that time was really to point people to Jesus. It was to uh, point their sin to them, to ask them to change their ways. They, they would not change their ways. They would come into the punishment and judgment of God. And then when they were in the judgment of God, the prophets would say, God will rescue you, God will do this. And then in the end, we find that they are rescued. And the hope really is to point the children of Israel to Jesus. And then comes a 400-year gap where God doesn't speak, no Bible is written. And it is during this time that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, arise as a group of people who interpreted and reinterpreted the law that they had then, and to be honest, created even more problems for the children of Israel. So we have the gospel. By the time the gospels uh, come, Israel is under the, um, the rule of Rome. And there is a reason why God came when the Israelites were under the rules of Rome. Because the way Rome handled the, em the empire was how God would handle the kingdom of God. It follows the pattern of taking over a territory and then putting a government in place to make sure that things are done the Roman way. So the kingdom of God is take over a territory and then I put a church there and the church then says and prays the kingdom of God into that place. So as we are in this school now, there's an expectation that our prayers will somehow um, trigger a change, not, not just here, but also in the families of, of all the children. And I have to tell you, when we came back um, from lockdown, I asked the caretaker here, I said, you know, what was the impact of COVID? Has anybody died? And he said, none of the children and none of the parents, none of the teachers, nobody that is affiliated to this school has died of COVID. And now that is not an accident because we are in an area with a very high proportion of Asians and they were one of the hardest hit. So for nobody in this school to have them or their immediate family die, it is because we're here and it is the cover of um, the Holy Spirit that dwells here on a weekly basis. Parables, uh, so these are within the Gospels and they are a story where we learn okay so all of us will have read a parable at some point and they're there really to teach us um, about uh, Jesus and the kingdom then we have the letters and we have gone through a couple of them as part of the Bible study and the apocalyptic now these these two are Revelation uh, and Daniel and they're full of dreams they're full of um, things that are a little bit difficult to interpret. So they tend to be 
the books that maybe you need to do a little bit more of um, study to get. But even failing that, as I said, if you're hungry, God will reveal things to you that you need to you need to know. Okay, so that's just finishing off the Bible. So what I want us to focus on is not the technicalities of how you interpret, because that's a different thing, and we don't really need to go into that now, but I want to let you know what are the factors that influence the way you interpret the Bible. So if you are in this church, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you have at some point in time interpreted the Bible, but how you do that is affected by a number of things. What is your opinion and what is your view of God? Do you think God is a father that is loving and he wants the best for you? Or do you feel that God is a manager that just wants you to do some certain things and he's interested just in those things he wants you to do and then the rest of your life, well, that's your problem? Or is God someone that is, is to be feared, someone who is terrible, someone who can damage you, someone who can hurt you? Who is God to you? How you interpret the Bible is influenced by how you see the person who actually wrote it. So some people say, well, it's man that wrote it. Yeah, well, yes and no, because man was inspired by God. So when you look at all these three and you read the story of David, for, for example, what you see is different based on how you see God. So we can, even now, we can hear the same sermon, we can hear the same teaching, we can even be given the same prophecy. But how we will view it and how we react to it depends on how we see God. Now, the, the true view of God is this first one. Yes, is a, a, a father. And for those of us who were in the Bible study on Wednesday, um, we also learned that God is, God is a creator, God is a, God is a father, God is a friend, and God is a judge. Now, there are some that might see God just as a friend and a father that can just spoil you. Then there are some that just see him as a creator and a judge who can be quite mean. But the truth is that God is a balanced God. And because he is balanced, we have to see him in a balanced way. And the best way to see him out of all the three years is as a father. And he will ask you to do things, he wants you to do things, and then when you get things wrong, yes, he can punish you. But the truth is, we have to come to the word of God with the mind that he is a good God and he's trying to make us he's trying to make us be the best pattern of ourselves that we can possibly be. Another thing that influences how you view the Bible is that what is your view of the authority of the Bible? Now, there are three. I've got two on here and the third one on the next slide. So is it just a uh, is it a blueprint and a pattern? So this is the highest level of view of the Bible. So when I read the Bible, am I looking for what should I do? How should I do it? Where should I do it? So this is saying that, you know, the Bible has the first, the middle and the final say. And it's saying that the Bible is the will of God and I can apply it to my life now. So that's one view. The other view is that the Bible is a model and a guide. So it's uh, it models how God deals with the the human race and provides a blueprint um, and it's not always 
straightforward, which is which is true. So I think the Bible is both of these. Then there's a third view that says that the Bible is an inspiration. So yeah, it is the word of God. No, it's not the word of God. It's a literary work. So it's just the books from 66 people who have something credible to say and it has some value in the early church but it doesn't have value now. Now there are some out there that will tell you that the Bible is out of date. There are some out there that will tell you that the Bible was written by men. There are some of you, there are some of them out there that will say all manner of things that brings the Bible down. Now whichever view you settle with in your mind affects how much you get from the Word of God. Now, the, the one thing that is technical that I did put, put in here is this, and this is important for us. The dispensations are what I can say seasons in the dealings of God with human beings. So it's like a contract. So I can be in a job and my contract can be nine to five or my contract can be nine to 12. My contract can be permanent, my contract can be hourly. So how this works is that at all of these um, dispensations, God dealt with people in different ways. So the innocence one that was in Eden, the relationship with God here was pure. Then sin came and we came under the dispensation of conscience. And that's when we knew right from wrong without having the power to do right. So here we've fallen. No. And God deals with man according to the conscience. And then as you go on, there's the covenant with Noah, there's the covenant with Abraham, there's the law of Moses, and then the dispensation that we're in is grace. So one of the, one of the things that trips people up is when we read something in Genesis through the eyelid or through the eyes of grace. When we read things in Genesis, we have to check Genesis where? Is it Genesis 1 and 2? Or is it Genesis 3? Because from Genesis 3, we're moving to conscience. Now, on my way to uh, church this morning, I was thinking of you know what happened in the Garden of Eden and how the devil was able to deceive Eve. And what... God said to me is that if Adam and Eve had come to me when the devil went to them saying whatever he said, I would have given them the inside scoop saying, you know this devil that is talking to you, this is what he did in heaven. This is the trouble that it caused for us in heaven and that's why I have sent him down to us. So all that you need to do is to say no thank you and be so great that every time he sees you, he'll know what he has lost. But the the reason why God puts human beings in the same place with the devil is that he wanted to make sure that people that are within are within because they want to, not because of what they can get from him. So Adam and Eve had everything, yeah? Everything. The one thing that was missing was for their own good, but they felt that God was cheating them. And what happened happened, and here we are. And the truth is that God could have put Satan and humans in different places, but God really wants people who want to be with him. 
So all our problems, he could make all our problems go away now. But then he would never, we would never really know why we were with God. Is it because things are going well? Is it because I've got everything or everything I think I need? And that's something for us to, to ponder on. Now, three steps to interpretation. And this goes, you know, for both the word of God and also for prophecies. There are three steps. So I said last week that God does not owe us an explanation. He owes us a revelation. So when we get a revelation from God, either through his word or through a prophecy, there are steps that we need to take. So the revelation is the knowledge of God. The, in the interpretation is what does it mean? And the application is what you need to do. So we went through this at the conference I went to Saturday of last week. So they broke us up into groups of three and we had to do some exercises around this. So we had one person that was the person we would give the message to. There was one person that was going to see and then there was a person that was going to interpret what the person, what the second person saw. So I was the interpreter, so I did step two and three, and one of the ladies did step one, revelation. So she said that she could see a room that had ashes on the, on the floor, lots of ashes from things that have burnt that, you know, have broken down. And then she could see gold at the top of the room, and the gold was dropping down, and then there were some flowers. So came the interpretation and I was like okay what I feel is the ash is something that has burnt something that has gone wrong something that has died and the gold is God saying I'm, I'm giving you um, something glorious something glorious is coming it's dropping down from heaven and it's gonna cover all the ashes and then the flowers there are for beauty said that God is gonna make your life beautiful in his own time. Now this poor lady, she was stunned. She was completely shocked. She was saying, what you're saying is accurate. And I said, okay, so tell me, because what they, what they make sure we did there is to check that what we're prophesying to people is actually right. So she said, I had a relationship that broke down four years ago, and for four years, I've been feeling depressed and down and thought that, you know, what am I going to do now? I'm getting old, blah, 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 you know, the usual things. But she could relate with that dream. And why am I saying this? The interpretation I gave to it, I could give because of the knowledge of the Bible. So when the Bible says, I'm going to give them beauty for ashes, so, so that's where the interpretation came from. Okay, so whenever we get... Um, a revelation from the word of God, we, in, we interpret it, and then the next step is what do you do? So we basically told that lady to um, to live with the promise and with the knowledge that gold is going to cover the ashes of whatever um, she had lost. And she actually felt, she, she felt like God had her in mind. And you know, that is always the purpose of the word of God, of prophecies, to make you feel that whatever it is that's going on, God has a plan for you, and God is not just um, silent. So, 
when we now look at that, the revelation, that's relatively easy. Now, the interpretation and the application are the difficult ones. And the stage of maturity that you're in will determine where you go. Can, can, can I have someone to, um, to give this out to everybody? Brother Michael or anyone? So I'll give this out now and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll go through it. So how mature I am, what does that mean? Spiritually, where am I? Spiritually, where are you? Spiritually, even where is anyone else who might come across, who might be giving you a word, who might be preaching, or who might be giving you advice even? Where is this person on this um, scale? And we'll go through these and then we're going to pray. So we are made of body, soul, uh, and the spirit. Another word for the soul is the flesh. And all that God really wants to do in all of us is to kill the flesh. He wants to kill the flesh. The flesh is the voice of self. The flesh is the voice of me. The flesh is the voice of I'm going to have my way. I'm going to be all these things. And it doesn't matter who else has to pay for it. The flesh is the voice of sin. So the revelation will come through the spirit and then it has to pass through the filter of your soul which is why God is trying to kill it because the more dead your flesh is the more of the revelation of God will be interpreted in the way that God has in mind rather than the way that you have in mind so as I said the story of David you can read that and look at the loyalty of David and say I've got to learn to be a loyal person or you can look at the sin of David and be like, oh well, David did this sin, so I can do it too. It depends on how loud the voice of your flesh is. And the whole purpose of the word of God, the whole purpose of prayer, the whole purpose of prophecy, the whole purpose of anything we do here is to kill the flesh. Now the devil wants to make sure that that flesh doesn't die. Because he knows it doesn't matter what the revelation you get, what sermon you get, what prophecies you get. If your flesh is alive and if it is loud, you will always get less than what God had in mind. And that's all the devil wants. If he cannot make you go to hell, he will make sure that even if you go to heaven, you will not have done anything because of the flesh. So what are we fighting? When we talk about the flesh, if we open first John to 16, if somebody can read that for me because I haven't got it up here. 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. For how that is in the world, mm -hmm. the lust of the flesh, yeah. and the lust of the eyes, yeah. and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay. So, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we can see these when Jesus was tempted in Luke 4. And we can also see these when Eve was tempted in Genesis 3, 6. Eve failed, Jesus passed. Um, stones to become bread is the loss of the flesh. 
Worship me and I will give you all the kingdom of this world is the loss of the eyes. Because Jesus went to the, the devil to Jesus to a high man and showed him the loss of the eyes. Then the pride of life, if you are the son of God. Okay? Jesus failed where, uh, Jesus passed where Eve failed. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the loss of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, loss of the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. So any sin that we will do falls under these three things. Any of the sins that you will see falls under one of these three. And Jesus has given us the pattern and he has given us the basis on how you overcome these sins. Now the extent to which we are able to overcome this shows how mature we are as a person and it determines a lot in our lives. It determines our friendships, it determines our ministry, our marriage, our businesses. It determines the whole of our lives. So I'm going to take us through the stages. So there's stage one here, baby Christian. And the key emotion is fear. It's people, these people here are afraid of God. Um, and, you know, how can I make sure that, you know, God blesses me, but he doesn't punish me and there's there's a lot of black and white there's a lot of rules but here being a christian is an obligation and a burden because all that this person see is rules then they move to stage two and that stage two is what is in it for me okay and the focus of these two stages is self and if you look at the printout i gave to you the the sin that the devil will bring to you is the loss of the flesh Adultery, stealing, all these little things that, you know, the devil just knows, yeah, this is, because the focus is on self, the devil knows that you quickly step into something that makes you feel good. Anger, when you just open your mouth, doesn't matter what I say, because sensibility is sorrow, see? And he just knows that I can get this person because their focus is on their self, because their flesh is very, 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 very loud, and they'll do stuff. And then they'll read Psalm 51, and then they'll say sorry, but he knows that this person is relatively easy, and all they want is blessing, and they're not, they're gonna damage my kingdom a little bit, but not that much. But actually, the devil can use them because they're, they're a Christian, but they don't really um, behave like one. So they're a Christian that is carnal. By the way, all of these stages will have gifts. All of these stages will prophesy. They will preach. They will do all manner of things. Now, there are some churches that will have an expectation that in order to, for you to prophesy, to preach, to minister to people, you've got to be at a certain level. But not many churches do. Some churches just want someone to prophesy. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what sin they're doing. Just prophesy. Just tell people what's going to happen. Okay? So we cannot judge people by their gift. We cannot judge people by what they do in church. Because it's much deeper than that. When we go to stages three and four. So now we're growing. So we all were here at some point. Some people might still be here. What we need to learn is you go through stage one and two to get to three and four. So that nobody who is high up there who will tell you that they were never this. Even if they were this just for one day, we all were this at some point. 
And God wants to draw us away from this onto the next stage. Now, the problem with a person in stage one and in stage two is that it's very easy for them to ruin the very good thing that God has given them because the moment they feel like they're not having their way, they will throw their toys out of the pram. Someone who is in stage one, is in stage two, is horrible to be married to, they're horrible to be friends with, they're horrible to be close to. And when they're in a church, when they're in a business, when they're in a family, they don't mind wrecking it as long as they can get their way because it's all about them. And God help that person, person in stage one and two, if they happen to be gifted, it is extremely difficult to get a gifted person out of stages one and two onto the next stages. Because many people see their gifts as a validation that they're right with God. Your gift just means that God needs work doing in his house, in the business, in your family. It doesn't mean that he's right with you. This is the stage of just the basics. If the past mark was an E, this is E and D. Where you are just in. You're not going to hell, you're going to heaven, but before you get to that heaven, you will have wrecked many things on earth. So our prayer is, we don't want to linger here for too long. Some spiritual leaders are here. Some spiritual leaders are here. They will sleep with anybody. They will take everybody's money. They will do all manner of things. Because everything is about them. It's about what they can get. They'll enslave their members. A husband or wife that is in stage one and two will terrify their partner because they feel everything is about them. A friend that is focused on self, all they think about is what can I get from you? So when they're in need, you'll see them. When they're okay, you don't see them, they disappear. Then when something goes wrong again, they reappear. Focuses on self. So this is the lowest level of spiritual maturity. And at this level, there's little that God can do with you. There's little that God can do with me if I'm here. Because it doesn't matter what God gives to me, the day I feel funny, I'm going to smash it up. The day I don't feel like things are being done rightly, I will speak to people anyhow. I will do whatever I need to do. I'll tell my husband to go away and I'll do whatever. Oh, I will cheat, I will lie, I will steal. So this is God constantly has to find someone to be nursing these ones and trying to say, okay, okay, let's see how we do this, let's see how we do that, calm down. Many people remain here. Now the next stage is better. So the focus is on the group. We want to meet the expectation of the group. And in stage four, the group is more important than the individual. So this is, we are growing, but it's still not yet about God, it's about the group. So where, if we are in church, the reasons why we will not cheat and steal is not because it's wrong and God doesn't want us to do it. It is because we're like, what are people going to say if they hear that they hold me more jolly? So it's not that you don't want to steal, that you don't want to do all those things, but the reputation that is on the line matters more than whether it's right or wrong. 
Now here, the sin that the devil will come at you at is the sin that is hidden, that is difficult to see. If in stage one and two, someone was fornicating by stages three and four, they're watching porn. Why? Because it's hidden and nobody can see it. You can still meet that same need, but nobody can see it, so your reputation is intact. You might not fight in public and beat people, but you might pick up the telephone and murder people with your words. But it can be seen. Lost of the eyes. Now, stages three and four are where most Christians will be. And sadly, stages three and four are where most churches will be happy for their members to stay at. Why is that? Because it's easy to to make people do things if there's a reward or a punishment that is public. So let's say, you know, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you can't lead praise and worship. So because you want to lead praise and worship, there are some things that you will not do. But the moment it's not your turn to lead praise and worship, or the moment for some reason, you know, you leave the choir, that is it. You go back to that sin because it never was about doing the right thing, it was about looking right. Most people, most churches will keep people at these stages because people like this are easier to manage. I'm still feeding your ego if I say, ah, and you know, prophets cannot be seen to be doing this kind of thing, so you won't do it. But in a place where you're not a prophet, in a place where they don't know you as that, your real self comes through because it is still there and it has not been dealt with. Most churches stop here because it's easier. We'll just do church, we'll sing very well, the prophecies will be accurate, the prayers will be sound, and you know, miracles might be happening and, and things might be going on, but there's something that is missing. The focus is still not yet on God. The focus might be on the church leader. The focus might be on the denomination. The focus might be on all manner on looking right. And there's nothing wrong with looking right, but it has to go deeper than that. Now, when we get to stages five and six, we start to focus on God and his purpose. Now, that's where God wants us to be. But to go from stage four to stage five, the word that I can use is because God will put you through such an ordeal to kill the flesh. Remember, the goal and the aim is to kill the flesh. You might find that everything that you have built, everything that you think matters, God will tear it down. He might ask you to move church. He might break your family up. He might break your business. He might allow all manner of things to happen to you. So you begin to realize that actually the only thing that matters is God. It's, it's a hard stage, but God will not force it on you. This is one that where you ask that God, I want to be at the next level. And here you're thinking, will what I do bring shame? or honor to the name of God and to the people around me. So if I feel this way and I just open my, my mouth and just talk, 
How would that make God feel? And how would that make the next person feel? You know, David was here when he said, it is, a, it is against you that I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. When we start to think of what does God think about what I want to do, then we're going to the stage where we can really begin to be useful to God and the way that we will read the Bible is different. The way that we'll interpret a prophecy is different. The way that we give a prophecy is different. Now, somebody who is in stage one and is a prophet, is a pastor, for example, you might be having some issues with marriage and, you know, someone in stage one and two will tell you, oh, your husband is your problem, you know, your wife is your problem. And if you leave them, you know, your wife, your life is going to be better. Someone who is, who is mature and who is grown will have a conversation with God and say, okay, fine. The husband or the wife is the problem of this person. What are they doing to this person that is making this reaction come? What's the biblical basis for God saying your husband or your wife is stopping your progress? And because you have some knowledge of the word of God and the principles of marriage, you can fix the situation there as a mature pastor or prophet that an immature one would not. Simply because the lens through which you see life has changed. The lens through which you see the word of God, the lens through which you see the revelation that you are given has changed. When we focus on God and his purpose, then what we read can change our lives. What we read can change the lives of people around us. And what we read can kill our flesh. I know so many people who can preach the best sermon. And then you get close and you are confused. Because their life looks nothing like what they're preaching and what they're saying. That's why I said we cannot look at gifts. And the reason I gave you that child is for us to think about where we are, not where somebody else is. Although it will help you to make sense of things if you think of how alive or dead is my flesh or the flesh of this person. And it gives an understanding. Now, when a church leader is at stage five and six, what he wants to do is pull as many people as possible into that. A church leader in stage three, four, just wanted to turn up to pay your tithes. Don't make too much trouble and go home. But a church leader who is at stage five, six, like the pastor that we have here, as mommy was saying, he wants to pull people into doing the right thing because it is right. Not because of how it's going to make you look or not because of if I don't do this, God is not going to bless me. And it's difficult to do that. But it means building a people that are far more powerful than a church full of stage three, four people. The things that God can do with people in stage five and six, he cannot do with stages three and four, but it's voluntary. You've got to ask God, God, I want to be a useful vessel in your hand. You know, the prayer we prayed last week is, Lord, I want to be the axe in your hand and I want to be blunt. 
Do you want to be blunt or do you want to be dull? It's absolutely up to you. I found this chart uh, on the internet and it talks about uh, people in companies and how engaged they are. And I think, apart from the numbers, it applies to everything. There's people in the family, people in church, people in businesses that are these three stages. And I guess you can see where I'm going with the stages one and two and where they fit. So this, the stage one and two can be the actively disengaged people. When this person is not happy with something, they're gonna tell anyone who wants to hear about it. Actively dis disengaged. They will wreck a business, they will wreck a family, they will wreck a church because their needs are not being met, things are not being done their way. So they're physically present, but psychologically absent. Now the other two are stages three and four, there's stages five and six. And of course, where God want, want, wants us to be, God wants everybody to be a driver. God wants everybody to be a worker. God wants everybody to be at stages five and six. But those people in red, as I said, they're useful. Because the people in red will test the ones in orange and the ones in blue. Are you really committed? I told you about one of my friends, who's not my friend, who called and said, you know, why do I drive my husband here, there? Can't he go do his own driving license? Now, if my heart was already half and half, this statement from a red person would have moved me from the, the blue stage probably to the orange stage. And the orange stage is just right next to the red one. Marriages break down when we listen to people who are in that red bit and we're in the blue bit and they're telling you, oh, your wife, your husband. And I said, I married someone who doesn't have a driving license. I knew I was gonna be driving him around. When you sign up for marriage, you sign up to be taken advantage of you sign up to having your money spent. You sign up to having to meet their needs, whether it's sexual, whether it's physical, whether it's friendship. When you get married, you're signing up to give your whole self. If you're not gonna do that, don't get married. You cannot now then start to listen to people who say, you're doing too much for your husband. You're doing too much for your wife. And there are things my husband does for me and I do for him that it's, yeah, it's too much, but who else would I be doing those things for? Maybe at work, there's always somebody somewhere who believes they're being cheated, they're not being paid right, they're not being given the right project, and you have to be careful who you listen to. Because if you want to go somewhere, anywhere, ministry, business, family, you've got to be that blue person there. And the devil doesn't want you to be there. Even in school, there are so many people, oh, the teachers are bad, oh, they are and they go to school, but school doesn't get into them. And they leave just as they left. And it can be the same for church. What, where are we at? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And that will drive how we interpret the word of God it will drive how we apply the word of God. It will drive how we live our lives. 
Now, this is the diagram I gave to you, but when I was there, I had a couple of more things that were added to it. The flesh and the Holy Spirit. So as you see, the flesh gets less, the spirit gets more. But the truth of the fact is that we're never safe. So the sin that the devil will bring for you at stage five and six is the pride of life where you have close relationship with God, you're doing things all right, and you know, you're, you are doing things. And the devil will, 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 will bring pride. It will make you start to feel like you're better than people, like you deserve to be treated a certain way, and these are the names that they should call me, and this is where I should be seated, and these are the things that should, they should be giving me, they should be letting me do this, they should be letting me to do that. And what does the devil want to do with that? He wants to draw you back to stage one and two. And the truth is, none of us are safe, regardless of where we are. None of us are safe and can say, oh, the devil can never. I don't think like that. I say, I can cheat on my husband. I can. If the situation is right, I can. So what do I do? I make sure the situation doesn't come. Don't ever feel that, oh, I could never steal. I could never do this. There are so many people who have done these things. They found themselves in the middle of it and they wrecked their lives because they felt that they never could. So there's conversations that I will not have with men at a certain time. There's conversation I will not have with men full stop. There are people I will not have in my house, in my husband's I will just not do it. So if the devil is looking for something, me too, I'm looking for something. We are on par. He's on my back, I'm on his back. But that means that I cannot waste time and I cannot have a moment of just, oh, you know, uh, I'm angry with my husband today, so I'm going to call someone and I'm going to start to chat to them and he's going to make me laugh. No, because in the end, I know he's going to make me cry. And that's where the devil is going. The devil will come with the small things, will come with the friend that says, ah, but you're always spending time with your husband, eh, but you're always going to church, we never see you. Small, 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 you'll be like, maybe, maybe I spend too much in church, maybe I do too much. Maybe I read too much Bible. Small, small, small. The devil wants to draw you back to loss of the flesh. And those great pastors that we see out there with you churches, maybe at some point, they were in stage five and six, and then they just felt that they could never fall. Then guess what they did? They fell. Adultery, fornication, the little things that were like, ah, how can a man like that, how can a woman like that fall for this type of thing? Stealing church money or doing fraud, it is because the devil has a tailor made temptation for each one of us. He watches and he knows us well. He knows our he knows our bloodlines, he knows what made our parents fall. And he knows that if care is not taken, we will fall for the same things. So, what is the word of God? The word of God is defense. The word of God is wisdom. The word of God is seeing where things are going. And the word of God is being able to find that out for yourself. And that is the greatest weapon that we give you here. This church is about creating powerful people. Power. Everything that we do, Bible study, Friday prayers, Sunday service, all the prayers and all the vigils, it's about creating an army. Not an audience. Armies and audiences are very different. Let us rise on our feet.
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.